So the other day we were talking about a Nietzsche and then you started talking about it in terms of uncertainty and you used that term what if. Mm. Mm. However, as we were speaking, you, you said we came, I, I said to you, uh, that's why Nibbana is undetermined. We, we were speaking about Nibbana. I said, mm. Nibbana is undetermined. And you said, exactly, uncertainty is the undetermined. And uh, I was, I thought, huh? Mm. That's not what I meant, mm. actually. And uh, yeah. So if we talk about that again, that mm. undetermined, you said, like uncertainty yeah. is the undetermined when yeah. when it's purified of ignorance. <coughs> well, no, just just you start you start on a basic level just colloquially speaking if something is determined it implies certainty uncertain things are less determined oh it's not yeah. so determined so it's uncertain well the the, the the absolute pinnacle of the undetermined thing is uh, Nibbana Dhamma the, the phenomenon of Nibbana the phenomenon of, of complete asankata dhamma, as the suttas would say. So what, from the point of view of a mind that depends on certainty, that depends on nietzsche and permanence and, and taking things personally, basically Putujana's mind and ignorant mind, Nibbana is the ultimate uncertainty, the most frightening thing, basically. But uncertainty is frightening only if you still take certainty for granted and put it first. So if you think things are Nietzsche and occasionally they're Nietzsche, without realizing that no, they're Nietzsche always, they doesn't change. And your sense of Nietzsche is only relative, like slightly less Nietzsche but still Nietzsche, so to speak. So that's why that like uncertainty is, uh, is the main characteristic of Nibbana. But for somebody who has developed Nibbana, that uncertainty is just the universal nature of things. When the Buddha did speak to uh, lay people or somebody who didn't have the right view, and they understood, because you know what what is it the nibbana that you teach? What's the highest goal of your teaching? And he would describe what nibbana is, and they would become distraught with fear, and you know fall on the ground, beat their breast, pull their hair in, in anguish and anxiety. Says that what this reckless teaches will kill us, will destroy us. So you train your mind because if you train it. The, the uncertainty of Nibbana, the dispassion of Nibbana, will be the utmost pleasure, the highest bliss. But as the Buddha said, the neutral feeling, for example, needs to be known and understood. Yeah, this is what if it's not known and not understood, it's going to be felt extremely unpleasantly. It's going to be felt painfully. The neutral feeling. So it requires wisdom to be able to truly recognize what neutral feeling is and find the peace in it. It takes wisdom for peace. Not just, oh, I'm peaceful, because the peaceful feeling arose in me. That's not really the peace we're talking about. So, practically speaking, if you, even as a non-arahant, want to contemplate the, um, well, want to have a, a theme for your contemplation, they will approximate the Nibbana uncertainty. The ultimate, fundamental uncertainty. That's why mindfulness of death, one of the quickest ways... For, for purifying mind of lust and reaching Nibbana, also the sharpest way that can harm you. Uh, the other one, when he said, the Buddha said that contemplation, like 
it will not be, it will not be for me. It might not be, and it won't be for me. Um, and that's like when he said, oh, that's like the highest uh, contemplative view that would result in serious amount of dispassion and abandoning of the world that even an outsider can practice. Somebody who hasn't understood the Dhamma. But the point being, so, so what would be the main characteristic of that view would be the uncertainty. It will be, it might be, it might not be. Either way, it won't be for me, as in I won't be taken as mine. Like what, what, is, the, what is the main characteristic of mindfulness of death that, that scares people a lot? It is the uncertainty, the, the implicit every, uncertainty of every like, you know, enduring experience that you have here and now. And when the Buddha said, how is the mindfulness of death practiced rightly? It was when the monk described, I practice it like after, one, after an in-breath, I'm already practicing mindfulness before the next outbreath. And he says, yeah, that's, that's as close as he needs to get. That doesn't mean, as I said before, that he's like focused so hard on every moment of in-breath, death, out-breath, death. No, it just means that his context is so firmly established on the like a thorough sort of uncertainty that underlies his entire existence that it doesn't lapse even for a moment of in or out-breath. doesn't mean he goes... Moment in breath, moment death, moment out breath, moment death, moment in breath, moment death. No, means the context is so strong that even a little lapse does not occur. And why it is so strong? Because it is true. Because it is factually uncertain on that level. For in breath, you might not have an out breath. You gotta, you gotta so you it's gotta not about it. like boiling down to a moment to catch it. It's more like just sustaining the context and recognizing the blatant truth of your existence. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, it's not <coughs> about fabricating that as an idea. Sure, it's not sure. about fabricating. It's not about fabricating. That's why I say it needs to start like only Nibbana is the highest bliss. Yes, eventually. So how do you arrive at the highest bliss? Through a magical method and technique? By letting the, the truth take root. In you know, take over. Well, by recognizing basically the the as, as again as the whole Dhamma is the universal characteristics of your existence, which are anicca, uncertainty, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. The whole experience is an experience of not self, because yeah, you cannot own that which is uncertain, because sense of ownership requires sense of certainty. So that's already a form of determination. So uncertain means undetermined, or less determined depending on how far you push the uncertainty. So if you want to contemplate a phenomenon that approximates Nibbana, even as a Putujana, contemplate uncertainty. But contemplate uncertainty, as in start feeling it. Contemplate yourself within, basically fully enclosed in a cage of uncertainty. So there's no outside of that uncertainty, and everything that's inside you don't really know what's objected to from the outside. So you are fully uncertain top to bottom. Because what people would tend to do, same with the practice of Anicca, is like, oh, then you just start determining the uncertainty over there, or determining Anicca over there. In other words, you start determining what's the undetermined, which means it's not really undetermined. So when people go around, yes, yes, everything is Anicca, see, this is Anicca, this is Anicca, it's all Anicca. Yeah, true, factually, uh, theoretically, but practically, that's not the Anicca that matters. And each of the matters is deep on the level of your existence. And you wouldn't be able to just say, Oh yeah, look, my, my eyes are Anicca. I can see that. My ears are Anicca and so on. No, because you would feel that. If you start feeling your body being under a threat of its existence, even if you say or not say, These eyes are Anicca or these ears are Anicca, you're going to feel it. 
because it is factually in nature and your life depends on it yet it's uncertain so when you contemplate uncertainty you will have to feel it that's why the sila needs to have been established beforehand not acting out of greed aversion delusion because yeah some minds will not be able to bear the recognition of what nibbana is as they didn't when the buddha told them like if the mind is strong enough it will not get distraught in the face of anxiety towards uncertainty it would be like wow i better do something about it like that king when the buddha told him like the four mountains coming from every direction about to crush you what are you going to do Said, well, first is this mountain from the east, is I'll run west, this mountain from west, I'll run north, this mountain from the north, I'll run south, mountain from the south. Oh, well, in that case, I will quickly renounce this life, and you know, it's like, well, there are four mountains coming, so do what you see fit. He didn't lose his mind, obviously, but some people got, got overwhelmed by that. <coughs> everybody can feel that uncertainty, and it's I for Petugina, for someone who's not trained. Yeah. It will be anxiety. Sure. And then that anxiety yeah. can proliferate into all sorts of phobias or whatever. Exactly. And fears yeah, and all yeah, kinds, yeah. you know. But once, if you can handle and see that anxiety or that uncertainty, endure, uncertainty, in, yeah. Endure, yeah. endure that uncertainty. Because if you are able, and again, you will be able if you actually made the effort to practice sensory straightening <coughs> beforehand. The reason people become mad is because people perform mad actions they do mad stuff they say mad stuff you cannot be mad if you don't act out madly you're not mad then doesn't matter what goes through your head if you don't act out on your thoughts you're not mad madness becomes when you act out every single time so if you have practiced restraint you will be able to not act out and the reason why this is necessary is because anxiety is not uncertainty uncertainty is not anxiety but for an untrained mind, uncertainty is anxious. But for a trained mind, they go used to uncertainty and recognize it and started understanding it, practicing its way towards Nibbana and complete cooling down on account of uncertainty. Because by the way, that's how this passion happens. When the mind realizes this is not worth clinging to, this is not worth owning or acting out or possessing or indulging in, it's unworthy of that effort because it's so thoroughly uncertain. So the mind that does start practicing like that towards uncertainty, you're getting used to it. it. means you will not feel anxiety towards it. So the anxiety aspect of uncertainty was due to your ignorance in regard to uncertainty, not because of uncertainty. And you won't be becoming dispassionate if you don't actually sit with that or... Well, uh, yeah, this passion, this passion is a result, result of, of you basically seeing things rightly. It's not something you can just choose to do. I, I choose to be dispassionate. I choose to do an atta. Yeah, I choose to be an atta or something like that. This passion, uh, relinquishing of ownership, will be the result of recognizing that that which you are passionate towards and owning and so on, your existence, your sense basis, your whole body, your whole life, is not worth clinging to. It's not worth owning. Yeah, but, but once you don't, then, <coughs> oh, it's not worth owning, I'll, let me not own it. Yeah, 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 it will be automated, it will be, yes. that's what I mean, it will be a result. Like, mm. like, you have a headache due to some bacterial infection, you take antibiotics, you get rid of the bacteria, headache disappears. You don't need to go and take a headache pill now, because the headache was the symptom of the infection, oh. the high fever or whatever it was. <coughs> so, so going back a bit, when you, you're talking about neutral feeling. Uh-huh. 
feeling which is neither pleasant or unpleasant. unpleasant. Yeah. So it's in a way you can use that word undetermined. It's undetermined. Well, it already it's less determined. It's a less determined. It's certainly not determined as agreeable. Well, it's you can say it's determined as neither determined as agreeable nor determined as an uh, unagreeable, disagreeable. So why why is this important? Why must I? Well, there are only three types of feelings. Yeah. For in Nibbana, for an Arahant, whoever has purified his experience, Anagami, is not like a new feeling that he has on top of these three. So the existence is the five aggregates. For Putujana, for an Arahant, the difference is the level of passion and delight in the five aggregates or freedom from those things from the five aggregates. So it's important because you start, as a Putujana, always starts basically on the level of full infatuation, full ownership, full passion. Full dependence on pleasure, full avoidance of pain, full ignorance of neither pleasure nor pain. And you see that, just like boredom is always like the practical example. So it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant, but it's really unpleasant because there is nothing happening. There's nothing felt more determinately, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like even you can see that even with people who become heavily dependent on sensuality, just slight uh, reduction in the level of feeling that they have on account of sensuality will feel like oh pain (laughs) it's still the pleasure but not enough pleasure it becomes extreme pain Mm. because you become so much more dependent now on even more determined feeling and more determined feeling and more determined feeling and that determination is comes directly from from ignorance from ignoring the certain truths the certain nature of, of what's right in front of you so avijja pacha sankara it's not a metaphysical relationship between the two. Not knowing the nature of the feeling, not, 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 not understanding that it's not worth delighting to, you're automatically determining it as more and more delightful. Like escape from pain becomes more delightful than the actual pain. And again, people who become so soft mentally, so touchy, so, 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 so sort of uh, weak, um, they would then find pain just in a, in a lack of pleasure and they will try to have to get rid of it so that's like the, the people is like everything is comfortable but then these tiny little things and they can't let go of the minds cannot let go of the tiny little imperfection so to speak and yet that experience starts to revolve around the pain on account of getting rid of that one imperfection ignoring the reality of their experience as a whole which is far more pleasant already because that's what they've been cultivating they, that's what they've been re- determining repeatedly looking for faults, looking for pain, fearing the pain then obviously because you start seeing it more and more. It's like a dog who tried to out, out, tries to outrun the post that it's tied to and ends up being completely like revolving around it until the, the chain is so tight now it cannot move. Now all you see is just pain here and pain there and, and trouble here and anxiety there and over there. <clears throat> but first thing you have to do is not act out of it. Yeah. Start practicing sense restraint. That will enable you to, you still have to endure it endurance of, of feelings is not optional the only difference the, the only thing that is optional is how you're going to go about it See, if you're trying to get rid of the feeling your whole life is about finding pleasure avoiding pain and distracting yourself you do that fully on the basis of having to endure these things when they're felt otherwise you wouldn't feel them if you choose to practice sense restraint and endure it on those terms you still have to endure it but there is a benefit of that because you can actually sense restraint first can result in wisdom and that's what Buddha said you replace the pains of a householder life, householder mind 
with the pains of a renunciate life, renunciate mind, you replace them. It's not optional. Pain is not optional. Feeling is not optional. So then you have re you replace the householder's joys and happiness with the happiness of renunciation. Either way, feeling will have to be there. You are subjected to it. You will have to endure it. So then it's just how you go about it. So the neutral feeling is that recognition that comes out of wisdom that the neutral feeling is by far the best because pleasure pressures you towards more pleasure pain obviously pressures you towards getting rid of it dealing with it quickly addressing it manage it get rid of it neutral feeling you realize oh it's undetermined i'm undetermined in the neutral feeling i'm not pressured but then it's your ignorance of the neutral feeling that then pressures you towards distraction and delusion as the buddha would say so when not known neutral feeling you're going to be unpleasant about it when known oh you're going to be very pleasant about it so to know knowing neutral feeling if you want to know the neutral feeling you have to start restraining the the delight and pleasure and you have to stop trying to get rid of the pain by default because neutral feeling is is a a result of restraint it's kind of well, no, neutral feeling is on the level of three feelings. But you understanding the neutral feeling will be the result of restraint and seeing through the nature of the other two right. feelings that are more obvious. But neutral feeling was there anyway. You realize many times in the past, even as a complete Putujana, you had neutral feelings, but you never understood the value of it. Because for that, you needed the sense restraint in regard to positive feeling and the negative feeling developed beforehand thoroughly and then start seeing the nature of it through that endurance so you see the value in neutral yeah you see the value in uncertainty mm -hmm. you see the value in 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 neither positive nor negative you see the value in non-disturbance you see the value in this passion mm -hmm. you see the value in in disenchantment because, you know, most people don't see the value in this passion. Mm. Passion is good. Provides me pleasure, ambition, drive for life. And from that point of view, yeah, that's the householder joy. But in order to have that joy means you also have to be blind to the implicit danger of that same very thing that you're passionate about. Because if you do become aware of the danger, as the Buddha would say, you discern that the danger that's apparent then you realize, oh, it's not worth clinging to. So then it's not a choice, really. Oh, I choose then to stop clinging to this or something. No, no, automatically you realize, oh, it's a trap. And no trap is worth being trapped by. Mm -hmm. So only time you get trapped by a trap is when you don't see it as a trap. So contemplate uncertainty as being, as you being within it. Not as an object of your attention, but as a background of your experience as a whole start seeing the characteristics of uncertainty. And you develop that, don't act out of it, sustain your restraint and your sila, you will force your mind to become dispassionate, to become disenchanted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's when the mind starts seeing clearly, when the clouds of the dust of passion disappears. So, you know, the, the, the say, Anicca, Sabe, Sankara, 
in Nietzsche. Mm. Oh. So all determinations are uncertain. uncertain. So what is that then? How will then that make those things that are determined by those determinations be? So if determinations are uncertain, what is then to be said about things that are being determined by those determinations? They're even more uncertain. So Sabe Sankara Anicca, Sabe Sankara Dukkha. So all determinations are uncertain and all determinations are unsatisfactory. Thus, everything that's determined, Sabe Dhamma, cannot be owned. Sabe Dhamma Nata. Determinations? What do you mean by determinations? Well, practically speaking, determinations, you know, you can get very technical about it, and, you know, you should certainly familiarize yourself with the meaning of that word, definitely. And the, you know, in Pali in itself, just, just get different ideas and broaden your understanding just of the terms so that you can then know what to recognize in your experience. But practically speaking, in very plain terms, Determination would be anything that is a basis for your ownership, practically speaking. So say, I'm very attached to my house, my, my family, my car, and so on. So you can now take that the joy that you get on account of it is determined by having the house, by having the car, by having the family. But then when you look at that, you can take even further. So determinations are not a fixed thing. It's more like a determining a relationship based on how you feel, whether you feel ignorant, infatuated, avoiding pleasure, uh, avoiding pain, pursuing pleasure, that's going to be on the basis of something. That basis is what determines your experience as such. So understanding determination frees you from these wrong things that your mind cultivates. That's why cessation of determination is Nibbana. And um, so you could then say, um, like you, you, you're attached to your whatever, so your family, uh, presence of their bodies, presence of your body, presence of your senses, presence of their senses, literally eyes and random organs, is now the basis for this entire emotional relationship, the relationship that you have with your family and your dependence and your ownership and fear if they're threatened, joy if they're successful and so on. But that would be inconceivable if your body would not be there, if you would not die. So the fundamental one of the fundamental determinations, obviously, it's the having the body, functioning body. So your body is one, the, the fundamental determination. That's why like mindfulness of the body done properly, maintaining the context of yeah. the body as the basis for any experience in your life. With already with the recognition of the uncertainty of that determination, of that context, makes then whatever you experience on the basis of that context of your body unownable. So your own children, family, everything, it's still there, it's still perceived, yet now the emotional basis for your ownership gone evaporated because it's seen on the basis of uncertainty yeah all your life missions your life your everything depends on that all yeah. based on that most people will have to start somewhere a bit bit more obvious because actually people th think you can just be mindful of the body it takes a lot of wisdom to develop this level of clarity of the context of the body as a determination for everything you wouldn't see a connection basically what i'm saying most people would not see a connection between presently enduring body as such and their dependence on the emotional joy that they get on account of their daughter getting a degree in a university or something. They wouldn't see that. But it, it is the fundamental, fundamental um, determination.
that is as when you see that determination as being a Nietzsche. Well, when you see that your own body that you're not in control of is perpetual, the main characteristic of it is the un- uncertainty. Then what doesn't matter what comes your way. Like you, you would need to pretend that your daughter didn't get the best degree at her university, but you would be unable to forget the the, the container, the the, the utmost fundamental background of that experience, which is uncertainty. In other words, it will have to come so in you, you wouldn't be able to get involved. Well, you the like you can again like, as as many times you know in the suttas like anagamis, Western laymen, uh, or even like monks, arahants. You know, you still talk, discuss help give advice on mundane matters it's not like you stop to recognize the significance of it but what a parent who has suddenly become anagami or an arahant uh, hears that the daughter is the best at university what they will be unable to do is take the ownership of that experience as a whole so they will be unable to lose the sight of the uncertainty so they will probably you know, just help the daughter rejoice in mundane matters so to speak but fundamentally be completely unmoved. That's why look, when they would exclaim in the Sutta, and yet my composure remained unchanged. Whether it was extremely positive experience or negative, the composure of the mind remained unchanged. Oh yeah, my, my only son was being falsely accused and killed, but my composure remained unchanged. Isn't this Dharma wonderful? Undetermined, yeah. yeah. The mind is. Well, the mind established upon the undetermined, upon the uncertain, as the fundamental, like non-negotiable basis, the truth, the reality of things, the Nibbana, uh, then it's inconceivable to resist the uncertainty. <laughs> it's just because resisting the uncertainty is uncertain. But you need to hammer that through that emotional barrier that your ownership towards things is. And when the Buddha did describe to some people what, what determinations are, he actually did. He referred to exactly this, uh, the, the possessions. The, the king was determined by his king's possessions. Those were his determinations of his... You know, statue of a statue of a king, his his rulership, his obviously self perception, his joy that comes on it, all the perks and benefits of a king. He says, would he be a king if he didn't have a kingdom? If he didn't have the castle? If he didn't have the horses? If he didn't have the army? If he wouldn't be the king? Yeah, my sense of self. Well, that's exactly you, you realize. Yeah. So your sense of self needs to have these determinations that you blindly own by not understanding their uncertainty. So the point to consider here. In this case, it's not like, oh, so you just go around throwing things away and say, I don't own this, I don't own this, I don't own this. All you need to do is find things that, because you can't throw away your body like that. You can't just say, okay, I throw away my senses and I'm an other hand. It doesn't work like that. So all you need to do is find what you do own and through that ownership, start discerning the uncertainty of that thing. And that's going to be felt anxiously, at least initially. If the mind is developed, you will not suffer much on account of anxiety. But it's still the same route you have to go. That's when the Buddha describes sometimes there's either a pleasant way towards arahanship, quick and pleasant, uh, slow and pleasant, quick and painful, slow and painful. It's the same way. It's just how slow you're going to go and how much you're going to suffer on account of it or not. But it's the same way. Through the sense of ownership, discerning the uncertainty, the mind that has developed samadhi will not be moved by that uncertainty, will not feel as much anxiety. The mind that hasn't will feel a lot of it, or relatively speaking, depending on how much you develop. So samadhi, as I said before, is not measured by how peaceful and blissful you had your meditation session until the bell rang. It's measured how much you don't move in the face of uncertainty, in the face of sensuality, in the face of pain, in the face of threat, misfortune, 
how much is your mind like scraping for the walls to, to outrun the pain or how much is it like the mountain that the Buddha described that doesn't move whether it's the wind, rain, hailstorm or whatever else that is what Samadhi is and that's why exactly the, the, the beginning of the right Samadhi the first jhana starts through fully surmounting not being moved by the five hindrances or the Buddha would say by the joys and griefs in regard to the world you develop that Samadhi of jhana not I watch my nostril I enter jhana and then I don't get the hindrances and joy of the world which is what people hope for no no you work through that then the result is Samadhi then the result is the pleasure of that seclusion and safety and relief and that's what jhana is so samadhi is the measure of immovability in the face of any pressure, positive or negative, but usually negative. Mm-hmm. And fundamental, yeah, that was exactly the reaction of people when they heard nibbana as the fundamental uncertainty. They they freak out. They had no samadhi. They had no they had no sila. They had no samadhi. So they were completely overwhelmed when they understood what the Buddha was saying what his teaching is or that will kill me that will destroy me that is the true death of me because from Putujan's point of view it is yeah. and that's why sila samadhi panya you you practice sila you practice sensory strain you invest the effort you grind you endure that is the samadhi already not now I watch my nostrils to get the samadhi and peaceful experience no you already have samadhi to the extent you are able to not break your precepts because to that extent you're able to endure the negative pressure, the pull of sensuality. Which is going to, and the more you uh, make things clearer, the more pressure you're going to see that is there. You can see that the, see, it becomes the pressure becomes even clearer. Becomes yeah. even clearer. Yeah. So, I said it the other day that I start meditation, and I was, if I'm doing it right, I'm supposed to have pleasant feelings, yeah, and yeah, bliss, yeah, yeah. joy, yeah, yeah, yeah. rapture. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it's actually the opposite. It's completely opposite. Samadhi is the work that basically is born out of your work of your sila, work of your sense restraint. Not just so I keep the precepts, I don't think about them. Do I also practice sense restraint in between keeping the precepts? Do I just let my eyes see whatever they want, ears chase the sounds, body chase the touches? Or do I actually impose sense restraint on that? So sila, samadhi is the result of it. And then that's then you see, oh, so you develop samadhi. Not by watching your nostrils, but by fortifying that which your sila created for you. And what's the result then? Sila Samadhi? Ah, clear seeing, understanding through what you have cultivated. But more often than not, okay, sila is over there, yeah, I'm a good person. Let me give me the technique, let me watch your nostrils, let me have special blissful experience when my body trembles with joy and so on. And then the experience of that must be some sort of wisdom in, in, in jhana, in my panya, and thus, that's my practice towards Arahaji. Completely upside down. Mm. You're just chasing another agreeable pleasure. You don't measure your samadhi by ability to withstand pain mentally. You measure it basically by, you know, how deeply you were away when you were sleeping or meditating. <laughs> yeah. It's fine if you get blissful experiences, but don't measure your samadhi by that. Quite the opposite. Take them with a pinch of salt. And the other samadhi is when my mind is throughout the day not moved by joys and griefs in regard to the world. And what is the world? Literally everything. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touches is the world for your mind. 
and your mind is not moved by any of that. That's what Samadhi is. Not, I had such a powerful Samadhi, I was unaware of the world for three hours, which is the same when I go to sleep. And, and, and that's my Samadhi. No, that's just probably being asleep or, or switched off for whatever reason. Abandoning the joys and griefs in regard to the world and basically cultivating the context of uncertainty will force you, will compose your mind. <laughs> force your mind into samadhi is another way for saying samadhi. Samadhi is composing. Uh-huh. Bringing it together. Bringing it together. Keeping it together. That which is loose and scattered. So there's going to be some effort involved there. Mm-hmm. Rounding up, exactly, effort of striving to rounding up the precepts, the sense restraint, tighter, 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 and you have composed now what you need to see. So you want to do meditation session, sit down, and then see. Bring up the joys and griefs of the world and see how much your mind moves. Bring up the liability, as we often say. Oh, I'm fine now. I'm not grieving over anything could I? What if my next phone call is bad news? Will I be distraught? Do I know for sure that as the anagamis in the suttas exclaim, isn't it wonderful? My composure remain unchanged. Can I say that? Do I know for sure my composure will remain unchanged regardless of if the news that comes is my only son is being falsely imprisoned and just murdered and my composure remains unchanged? Not that because I didn't hear the news rightly, or I don't know significance of my only son. Otherwise, she wouldn't have said my only son. Mm-hmm. She didn't engage in, oh, it's just matter, it's just elements, it's just a Nietzsche. No, my only son that I've bred, raised, protected, a good person, falsely imprisoned by the king, falsely accused, falsely tried and executed. So fully aware of the significance of this extreme personally, personal injustice. And the mind remained unchanged. Isn't it? Like, my composure remained unchanged. So, is that somebody? Like, do you know that? Am I liable to things changing my composure? If so, that's your work. So, unreason lust, unreason hindrances, can they arise and beset my mind and overwhelm it and make me run for the walls? Or have I developed my mind to be unmoved? Because if you're unmoved, that's when you get to see things clearly. Not while you're running and shaking. First, you need to stop moving. Stop trying to in, stop overly indulging in things, moving towards them. Stop trying to outrun them, moving away from them. And stop turning a blind eye and ignoring them. 